got a Bible, go to 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings uh, chapter 19. If you have a difficult time finding that, it's right before 2 Kings. Okay, so uh, you'll be able to find that easily. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 19 is going to be our passage tonight. We've been in a series now for several weeks uh, called From the Ashes, and uh, we've been looking at uh, stories in the Bible. Of course, we've just been in the Old Testament thus far, where life didn't go as planned, that uh, dreams didn't come about as we thought they would, that life doesn't always tend to go exactly as we think it's going to go, but God is in control. And he is absolutely working his plan, and he is sovereign in our lives. And so we looked, for instance, at Adam and how everything turned to ashes uh, with the sin in the garden, but how Christ redeems that in the resurrection. Uh, We looked at Joseph and how God had given him this dream, and it appeared as though that dream was never going to come to pass, and yet God uh, was faithful. Last week, we looked at Jonah, and one of the things I love about Faith Family is you preach a heavy hard sermon and people come and thank you for it. Like that means a lot to me. The Jonah message was tough. It was, we dealt with when your view of God turns to ashes and when you begin to realize that maybe God is more than you thought he is. That can be a very difficult and unsettling thing. Well, tonight, we're going to look at the story of Elijah, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, and we're going to look at when your expectations turn to ashes in a very, very familiar, well, part of it is very familiar. Uh, It's something that you can't go to Sunday school as a kid for three weeks in a row without hearing this story, or the first half of it, but most of your Sunday schools didn't tell you about the second half, and so we're going to look at that tonight night here at 1 Kings 19. Y'all ready to go? Let's do it. If you're able to stand, please do so as we honor the reading of God's word. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also If I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And then he was afraid. And he rose and he ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die. Saying, It's enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake, baked on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. This is God's word. Pray with me and pray for me as we ask God to talk to us tonight. Uh, from his word. So Lord, here we are. Uh, Please talk to us. These messages have been so relevant because we relate 
uh, to so many of the stories of these men and women in the Bible, and uh, no doubt uh, tonight there will be a lot for us to to learn from, and I hope be encouraged by. Just help us now to listen uh, as the Spirit of God speaks to us. I'm convinced that you've brought everybody here because there's something you want to say to them, and so Lord, just use my mouth, use the preparation that I have uh, done in this message to uh, speak to your people in a powerful way, all to the glory of Jesus and Jesus alone. And God's people said, amen. 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 You can be seated. Don Cash was 55 years old from Sandy, Utah. Uh, He loved adventure. He was kind of one of those guys, some of you know them, that uh, uh, loves to live life to the fullest. Uh, Don was setting out to do what he called the Seven Summit Dream. That is, he wanted to climb all the highest peaks on every continent. As of 2019, he still had two left to go, and so he decided that he was going to take what was called a Seven Summits sabbatical. Say that seven times fast, right? He was going to take five months off work to finish the last two summits. In spring of 2019, Don set his focus on climbing Mount Everest. On the day he started the climb, it was very crowded on the mountain, but that didn't stop him from a 12-hour push to get to the top of the summit. Once he reached the top, he was overwhelmed with the experience, overwhelmed with the view. He was just taken back. In fact, he sent a message from the top of the summit to his son, Tanner, that read this, quote, I feel so blessed to be on the mountain that I've read about for the last 40 years. I am excited to look to the next chapter of my life once I returned, close quote. But he would never return. Unfortunately, that was the last message that Don would ever send. As Don was ascending back down the mountain, he collapsed. Those that were with him thought that he went into cardiac arrest. They tried giving him oxygen and CPR. They took him down to a lower part of the mountain, uh, but their efforts to revive him were unsuccessful. He would die on that mountain. And I want you to think about that for just a moment. What I mean is this. Don literally went... From the highest of highs. He had reached the summit. He had fulfilled his dreams. He had experienced something that was absolutely amazing. And then literally just a few moments later, he would experience the lowest of lows. Lifeless on the side of a mountain. Now listen, I have great respect for Don and his adventurous spirit, but as I read about his story, I thought, you know what? That is very true in life as well. Here's what I mean. Sometimes life takes you from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. Amen? 
And sometimes it can happen in just a few moments. Like one minute you're on top of the mountain and everything is fantastic. Everything is amazing. And the very next moment you are just struggling to hang on. And you've experienced this in numerous ways. You started your own business and it was booming and life was good and things were going fine. Then the economy turns, and before you knew it, you're, you're barely staying afloat. You met the woman of your dreams, and you thought everything was going fine, and then she said, we need to talk. You felt as healthy as you ever had felt before. Things were going great until you got that medical report. You just spent the other evening out laughing together and having a great time, and then literally just a few days later, he was gone. There's something about life that takes us at times from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. What what I'm going to call in this message is that life has a tendency to take us from the Alps to the ashes. And sometimes that can be in just a matter of a few moments. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher, said this, sometimes the greatest blessings are followed by the heaviest burdens. Think about that. Sometimes the greatest blessings are often followed by the heaviest burdens. And that is exactly what happens in the prophet Elijah's life. It's exactly, he goes from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. As we come to 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19, uh, the man who's on the throne is King Ahab. Ahab is the king of Israel. He's the seventh king of the northern kingdom. You remember that when Solomon died, the kingdom split. And you've got the northern kingdom Israel, and you've got the southern kingdom Judah. Well, Ahab is the seventh king in the northern kingdom of Israel. And I tried to find some pictures, like authentic pictures of Ahab online, and all I could find were pictures like this, and this, and then there was this, you gotta love that one, and then this. It's like those were literally like all the pictures of Ahab, like he's a really happy fellow, right? And you would be too if you were married to his wife, a woman by the name of Jezebel, I think that is an authentic picture of Jezebel. How many of you have ever heard the name Jezebel? Show of hands. How many of you are named Jezebel? That's what I thought, okay, like two of you, okay. How many of you have ever been called a Jezebel? Not a good thing. I mean, isn't it something to be said that here all these many years later from 1 Kings 19, Jezebel is still a name. Nobody wants to be named and nobody wants to be called. That's because Jezebel was an evil woman. Uh, She was the daughter of an Assyrian king. And Ahab, the seventh king of northern kingdom Israel, marries her not because he loves her, but he marries her because it's a political move. Assyria is growing, and they're mighty, and Ahab knows, I got to keep Assyria on my good side. And so he marries Jezebel, and while that may have been a good political move, it was a spiritual disaster, because with this Assyrian woman came her Assyrian gods, Baal, or Baal, and Asherah. Uh, These were the god and goddess of fertility, 
uh, success, if you want your crops to grow, if you want to be uh, productive and abundant, well, all of this comes from Baal, from Asherah. And so she brings these Canaanite gods into Israel. It becomes the official religion of Israel. Think about this. This is the people of God. This is the covenant people of God. The people that are to worship Yahweh and have no other gods before me. And now the official religion of Israel is Baal worship. So God brings judgment upon his own people in the worst possible form in this time, and that is a famine. There's nothing worse than a famine when you're in an agrarian culture. I mean, all of your life depends on what you're able to produce and get out of the ground. And so God has brought this judgment of famine upon his people because they have turned their hearts to the God of Baal. And there's a, a pastor living in the northern kingdom. His name is Elijah. He is the prophet of God, called of God to the people of God. And he continues repeatedly to call the people of God and King Ahab back to Yahweh worship. But it does no good. It's like beating your head against the wall. They won't listen. They continue to worship Baal. And so Elijah calls for a contest. It is time for a showdown. Mono imano, God versus false God. Let's find out who the real God is. You know this story. It's one of the famous Old Testament stories. Again, Anybody that ever went to Sunday school for three weeks have heard this story. Watch what happens. 1 Kings 18, verse 18. Elijah calls for this contest and says, He answered, I've not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel. And 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you limp between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. And all the people did not answer him a word. So Elijah calls for this con. Enough is enough. With all this Baal worship, it's time to have a contest. Let's see who the real God is. I mean, do you want to worship a false God? Do you want to devote your worship to that which isn't there? So let's settle this. Even though the odds are 850 to one. How do you like those odds? But here's something you need to know, and if you've zoned out, zone back in, right? I want you to notice this on the screen. Here it is. It doesn't matter how many people you have on your side. It only matters that God is on your side. Amen. That's a lesson taught throughout Scripture. It doesn't matter that you have 850 prophets against one if the one has Yahweh. And that's what Elijah is about to show through his life. Prepare the sacrifice. A slaughtered bull. Bring it. We're going to put it on the altar. And what we're going to do is you're going to call down fire from heaven. And whichever God is the true God will bring fire from heaven and consume the sacrifice. Elijah, being the gentleman that he is, says, you go first. 
The stage is yours. And the 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah begin to cry out and call all morning long. You remember the story for Baal and Asherah to respond and to bring fire down from heaven and it's crickets. They wait and nothing happens and they keep crying out louder and louder and nothing happens and the day keeps getting longer and longer and they're just waiting and waiting and while they're waiting Elijah does his best Conor McGregor uh, uh, impersonation and starts trash talking I love this look at verse 27 at noon Elijah God thank you for putting this in the Bible Elijah mocked them saying cry aloud for he is a god right I mean Baal's a god right Either he's musing, that is meditating, or relieving himself. That's awesome. Maybe your God is in the bathroom, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Be honest. Don't you love that that is in the Bible? Right? I've told you there is the spiritual gift of sarcasm, and that is a proof verse right there. I mean, what's up with your God? Why isn't he coming through for you? And of course, that just taunts them all the more. They start cutting themselves. They get louder and louder. And still, nothing happens. Well, just like in the devil went down to Georgia, now Elijah picks up his fiddle, and it's time for him to play. And he takes the sacrifice, puts it on the altar. But this time he's like, no, 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 no. We're going to make sure there is no doubt whatsoever. You know how we've been in a famine? You know how we don't have a lot of water? I want you to take four jars of water three different times and pour it on this sacrifice. And then he calls out to Yahweh for fire to come down. Verse Uh, Chapter 18, verse 38. The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. I mean, Elijah just starts going crazy. It's like this is the most incredible thing. He's doing the bull dance, feeling the flow. Like, this is such a wonderful time because Team Yahweh has won. And God has shown himself to be the one true and living God among his people. Revival has come to the northern kingdom of Israel. I mean, you talk about a mountaintop experience. I mean, literally and spiritually. They're literally on a mountain, Mount Carmel. And this is literally a mountaintop experience. It's like, the, can you imagine, if you, if you were given the opportunity to go back to biblical stories, would this not be one you'd go back to and just say, I just want to watch. First, I want to see the smack talk, okay? Then I just want to watch God do what God does and demonstrate his glory. Mountaintop, spiritual high. And now the part they didn't teach you in Sunday school. In fact, this is the part of the story that I'm going to be honest with you, I relate to more than I do 1 Kings 18. Because I don't know about you, but I don't spend most of my life on the mountaintop. Anybody with me? Okay. 
six of us know what that's like. The rest of you are always in a good mood, all right? So I'm thankful for those mountaintop experiences, but that is not where life is lived all the time. Here's what happens next. Verse 46 of chapter 18, it's the last verse of chapter 18. The power of the Lord came to Elijah and he tucked his cloak into his belt and he ran ahead to Ahab all the way to Jezreel, that is the capital. And so Elijah takes off like Forrest Gump right after this happened and he is gone, run, Forrest, run. He cannot wait. In fact, the text says he bypasses Ahab to get back to the capital city. He is so excited. Why? Because he's thinking Yahweh worship is going to Turn to the people of God. Ahab is finally going to come to his senses. Woohoo! Jezebel is going to be thrown out, that wicked woman. You can just feel the excitement that Elijah has because of what God is now going to do among his people. And instead, he experiences this. Verse 1 of chapter 19. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life like that of one of them by this time tomorrow. Three things I would note here that Elijah realizes in this moment. And it's going to send him, as we're about to see, into the ashes. He is about to go into a very dark place. Why? Number one, listen, he realizes they're going to keep worshiping Baal. Two, he realizes that Ahab is still a coward and is still listening and being influenced to Jezebel. And three, Elijah is now a marked man. He is now to be afraid for his life. And it's as though, listen, it's as though Mount Carmel didn't happen. King Ahab, were you not there? Did you not see what just took place? Listen, come here, come here. And Elijah goes from the Alps to the ashes. From a real mountaintop experience with God to one of the lowest places he could possibly be. Look at verse 3 of chapter 19. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, that's southern kingdom, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and asked that he might die. Does that remind you of anybody from last week? Saying, it's enough! Yahweh, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. There is so much packed into those two verses in terms of what Elijah is going through compared to what he just experienced in chapter 18. 
First, he's afraid and running for his life. This man is terrified. He's looking over both shoulders all the time, and he can't get out of there fast enough. Number two, he goes to Beersheba, which, as I mentioned, is Judah. That is, he leaves his own country. Get this. Lord, help me. Elijah is a prophet of God called to the people of God, called specifically to the northern kingdom. That is, he is leaving the call of God. God did not call him to the southern kingdom. God called him to the northern kingdom, but he is leaving the northern kingdom. Thirdly, he's quitting the ministry. You say, where do you get that from? It says, and he left his servant there. Prophets were given a servant that would go with them on their journey as they would go from place to place and speak on behalf of God. So when he leaves his servant, he is essentially saying, I'm done with this. I'm leaving the very people that God has called me to, and I'm leaving the very person that God has given me by my side. I'm done! I don't want to do this anymore. When it comes to the ministry, God, I'm out. But it's not even fully dark yet. Because the fourth is he enters into the wilderness. Now, we think wilderness. We think of like thick forest and stuff like that. The wilderness would have been a barren place in the ancient Near East. He is going into a place of despair and darkness. And lastly, he wants to die. Now, he will not take his own life, but he will ask the Lord to do it for him. Is anybody having whiplash tonight from where Elijah just was a few verses ago to where he is now? He's gone from the Alps to the ashes. He is in total despair. Now, there's a part of me that wants to ask, come on, Elijah, wake up, buddy, come on, why, why, are you, why are you responding this way? I mean, don't you realize what you just experienced in chapter 18? I mean, wouldn't you just say, hey, get up, run back into Jezreel, and you tell that evil woman, Jezebel, just what she needs to be told, right? If God is for you, who can be against you? And we want to just kind of say, why would a man of God be in such a dark place don't you have faith and I'm just going to tell you that it's that if that's you here at faith family you will never be judged for your fighting the darkness because I have walked with the Lord long enough to know that this does not mean he is lacking faith the reality is in our spiritual lives, we often will go from the Alps to the ashes. Just let this man hurt. What are some things that brought him to the ashes? What are some of the things that led him to despair? Well, there's a few, and I don't think any of them will be relevant to you. And so I apologize in advance that this will have no application in your life. But just go to sleep for 10 minutes and then you can come back around. Here's the first thing that will have no application whatsoever to your life. And it's this. Uh, difficult people. <laughs> Nobody here deals with any of them, right? 
One of the things that brought Elijah to the ashes was the fact that he was called to do ministry under the leadership of Ahab and Jezebel. He was called to do ministry in one of the most difficult times in the northern kingdom. I mean, let's be honest, wouldn't life be better if there were a fewer num-nums in the world? Amen? That may be the most applicable point I make tonight, right? I thought about this. How is it that there are 7.9 billion people in the world and it only takes one to ruin my day? I don't like the odds there. I mean, if it only takes one, you would think if there's 7.9 billion that it should at least take like maybe 30 to make me have a bad day, but no. Sometimes it only takes one person to take you from the Alps to the ashes. Amen? You've been there? Some of you, that's the ex-spouse, the grumpy neighbor, the annoying coworker, the email that got sent, the threat that got made, the criticism that never seems to stop, the hurt that they caused. In fact, this is why, a little insight to the ministry, this is the number one reason pastors leave the ministry, is they just get tired of the criticism. Difficult people can take us from the Alps to the ashes in about .02 seconds. It did for Elijah. Second is physical, I would add even emotional emotional and spiritual exhaustion. Elijah here has engaged in a serious battle of spiritual warfare. Are you kidding me? Like what a battle of spiritual warfare. Then he runs over a hundred miles like Forrest Gump. He hasn't eaten or slept in days. In other words, when Elijah gets to 1 Kings 19, he is, as some of you are, empty. He's totally empty. He's spiritually empty. He's physically empty. Martin Lloyd-Jones again writes the following. This is such a good quote. Please listen in. Quote, you cannot isolate the spiritual from the physical, for we are body, mind, and spirit. The greatest and best Christians, when they are physically weak, are more prone to an attack of spiritual depression than at any other time. Close quote. That is exactly right. Some of you in this moment are in the ashes. I hope you're listening because you're not taking proper care of yourself. You work too much, you sleep too little, you don't eat right, you're stressed out all the time. And that is why you can have a mountain of a day on Wednesday and be in the ashes on Thursday. Because you're on empty. I'm going to say more on that in just a moment. We'll come to it shortly. Thirdly is loneliness. Loneliness. What is it that led Elijah into the ashes? He is alone. Look at what he says on two different occasions. The first one here is 1 Kings 18.22. 1 Kings 18.22. Then Elijah said to them, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. 
He says a similar thing in 1 Kings 19, verse 10. Look at it. He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the Lord of God of hosts, that is of Almighty. For the people of Israel have rejected your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Have you ever felt like Elijah feels that you're the only one? Like you're outnumbered, like the odds are stacked against you, that nobody else in your family is a Christian, that nobody at work supports your faith, that sometimes, sometimes, sometimes you come home from a mountain of a day to be overwhelmed and bombarded by the loneliness of home. Loneliness has a way of sending you in .02 seconds into the ashes because you feel like no one else really understands. See, I told you this wasn't going to be relevant to you at all. Maybe you're gleaning something, he says with heavy sarcasm. (laughs) Difficult people, physical and spiritual exhaustion, loneliness, number four, Uh, personal failure, personal failure. Look at what he says in verse four. Uh, He says at the very end when he asked the Lord to take his life, then he says, for I am no better than my fathers. Do you hear what he's saying? Elijah here feels like he's failed as a prophet. I mean, and it was the prophet's job to direct the people of God in the ways of God. And so Elijah really feels here like he has failed God. God, I've not been an effective prophet. I have not done what you've called me to effectively. I mean, look at all that I tried to do and it wasn't enough. And some of you would say, oh, but Elijah, don't, don't, don't be so unfair, right? You, you can't uh, be responsible for what Ahab does. You can't be responsible for him being influenced by uh, Je- Jezebel, right? Yeah, except how many of you parents whose children have gone wayward, have still felt like a failure. You didn't make the decision for them. They made the decision on their own. You did the best that you could to raise them, but they still went off track, and you couldn't help but feel like you failed. That's how Elijah feels. God, I did everything I knew to do. And they're still worshiping Baal. I'm no better than my fathers. Lastly, and maybe the most or the biggest one of all is unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. I think Elijah was certain. I think he was convinced after what happened on Mount Carmel that the nation is going to repent. And he believed the time was now. And when he got back and he encountered Ahab and and Jezebel and realized that, no, they were going to continue to worship Baal, he was totally devastated. He was disappointed in Ahab, disappointed in the people of Israel, disappointed probably even in God. Because what he expected to happen and what actually happened were different. Has that ever happened to you? 
You were certain the counseling would fix the marriage. I just knew that sermon would change their life. You knew that if you shared the gospel with them, they'd trust Jesus. You were certain the church would grow. You just knew that particular political candidate would win. You knew that God was going to heal your spouse. And it didn't happen. And because your expectations were not met, you went from the Alps to the ashes in about 0.02 seconds. Anybody here tonight just like, yep, this is the part of the story that I relate to the most. Not the mountaintop. Yeah, maybe we've had a few mountaintops here and there and just those amazing moments and I'm all for the mountaintop, but I don't know about you, but I find myself far more in the ashes dealing with difficult people and trying to manage expectations and, and trying to balance work and rest and, and, and not feeling lonely in the ministry and all of these things are where we live every day. Amen? But the encouragement that I want to give you in this message tonight, and quite honestly, it's the encouragement that's throughout this series, is this. Everybody, if you've zoned out, right back here, look right here, okay? Even though the, the, the view is not very pleasant, look right here, all right? Um, God meets you in the ashes. God meets you in the ashes. He meets Elijah in the ashes. Look at what happens here in verse 11, chapter 19, verse 11. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord, and the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire the sound of a low whisper. If you've got the King James Version, it's a still, small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah here in the ashes is going to have a divine encounter with God. God is going to send an angel, a messenger, uh, that's going to meet Elijah here in the ashes, and guess where he's going to start? So here's what God does, just a few more moments and I'm almost done, but guess where he starts? I love this. Like this will preach because this goes against, I think, our default position in church a lot, and it's this. God doesn't start, are you listening? I'm going to wait till you listen, all right? God doesn't start with telling Elijah, get in a Bible study, God starts by baking him a cake. And all God's people said, Amen, glory to God for cake. You say, what's the point? Here's the point. God feeds him. God feeds him. Here's my point, and it's a very big point, and I'm speaking into us, faith family, and for me as well. Oftentimes when people are depressed or in despair or they're fighting in the ashes, we assume it's a spiritual problem. And we start running through our checklist. Well, have you prayed in faith, confessed all sin, invited the Holy Spirit, claimed the promises, pled the blood, rebuked the devil, counted your blessings, and named them one by one? 
uh, Elijah is a physical man with a physical nature that lives in a physical world. Some of you, don't take me out of context here. Some of you may not like this, but let me say it. Sometimes the way God meets you in the ashes is not through prayer and Bible study, but a good meal, a walk by the water, a little extra sleep, and some great country music. I added the country music part. It's fine. I added that. Here's my point, and it's going to sound weird, but it's where God starts with Elijah. Sometimes what you don't need to do is pray. You need to go to sleep. Because you're exhausted and you're empty and that physical reality is impacting your spiritual reality and God meets you by feeding you. Here's a good meal and a nap. And that's where we're going to start. And of course, I am pro-prayer. Amen? But we're not going to be the kind of people that assumes every problem is a spiritual problem. It may be a spiritual problem that's affected by something else. So God, I, I I love this. God is the God who bakes cakes. It's like in Jonah, God appoints a great fish. And then he appoints a worm to kill a plant that provided him shade. And, and here he's baking Elijah a cake. I mean, how great is our God? Amen? I mean, he's just, I'm going to send an angel and you're going to make him a cake. Give him some water while you're at it. He feeds him. Number two, God touches him. God touches him. Again, this is all through the messenger, the angel. And that is, Elijah is not only a physical person, he's also a relational person. And a lot of his problem, as we've already seen, is that he feels alone. He feels like he is the only one. And in many cases, he is the only one. But what God is doing here through this messenger is saying this, Elijah, you may feel alone, but you are not alone. You feel alone, but you're not alone because the same God that was with you on the mountain is right here with you in the ashes. And he touches him, physically touches him to to connect with him and remind him that no matter how lonely life gets, you don't ever walk alone. God never forsakes his people even when clearly his people have forsaken him. And so God meets him in the ashes and he bakes him a cake, feeds him. It wasn't that kind of cake. Anyways, Touches him, relationally connects with him. Thirdly, God speaks to him. We just read those verses. God takes Elijah to Mount uh, Mount Oreb. And if you're not familiar with that name or that title, it's another name or title of Mount Sinai. That ought to ring a bell. In fact, God takes Elijah to a cleft in this mountain. And that should be coming more and more familiar if you know the book of Exodus. In other words, listen, listen, listen. God does for Elijah the same thing he did for Moses. He reveals himself. Remember when Moses said, God, I want to see you? And God said, well, you can't see me and live, but I'm going to hide you in the cleft and I'm going to pass by. And he lets Moses see his backside because he can't see his face and live. Here for Elijah, he comes in that still small voice, that whisper, and he speaks 
to him. God ministers to us in the ashes. He feeds him, he touches him, he speaks to him, and here's the last thing, he calls him. He calls him. Remember, I've already pointed out the things in the text where Elijah has quit the ministry. Do you remember the two main ones? Number one, he left what? The northern, he left his servant, right? That's right. He leaves his servant behind. And the second is he left his place of ministry, which was the northern kingdom. He's now in Judah. And so God comes to him at a time when Elijah is convinced it's over. Have you ever been there? I've been there. My ministry's done. It's over. It's finished. And in verse 15, God gives Elijah a new assignment. And read it there. He sends him out for a different assignment and a different ministry as if to say, Elijah, you don't get to say when your ministry is over. I say when your ministry is over. You may feel like you're done. I'm telling you, we're just getting started. I've got a new work for you to do. I'm not finished with you, Elijah. And he meets God, God meets Elijah in the ashes and tells him, here is your assignment. Here is what I've called you to do. I hope you're encouraged tonight by this story of Elijah. It, it is so unbelievably relevant of a man who experiences the mountaintop experience of God and the very next moment he finds himself in the ashes in total despair. The reality is, faith family, is that life has a way of taking us from the Alps to the ashes. It may be difficult people, it may be physical exhaustion, it may be loneliness, it may be unmet expectations, but whatever it is, we can be one moment on the mountain and in the valley the next. But I would close by encouraging you with this, that no one knows that experience more than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus' ministry was full of mountaintop moments. The amazing miracles, the teaching that left people astonished, and a view like you wouldn't believe. For if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It doesn't get any more mountaintop than that. But Jesus' ministry did not end on a mountain. It ended on a hill called Calvary. And no one in history has gone from the Alps to the ashes like Jesus. But I need you to hear this. He didn't stay there. Amen. And neither will you. Jesus can... And Jesus will, just like Elijah, resurrect you from the ashes. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Pray with me. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for this message. Unbelievably relevant. How something in 1 Kings 19 
that happened back in the northern kingdom of Israel can speak directly into our daily life. The names have changed and some of the details may have changed, but the experience is still the same. How often in life we go from the Alps to the ashes. To the high of the mountaintop one moment, to dealing with that difficult person, the difficult coworker, those expectations that we just keep waiting on, and we find ourselves, if we're not careful like Elijah, somewhere in the wilderness just ready to quit. Thank you that you love us so much that you never forsake us. You never abandon us. You will, you will come and bake us a cake and you will come and touch us and you will come and, and speak to us and you'll redirect us. You, you will not leave your people. And we thank you for that. So there are people here tonight, there are people that will watch this sermon online and they're in the ashes. And I pray how I pray that you would meet them there as I know that you will and encourage them through this message tonight. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen.